This time on episode 300 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we talk Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, we talk weekly Marvel news, and we talk your feedback. I'm David S. Dawson from the Intellectual Podcast, a show that spotlights creatives from all walks of life. Part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredibly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for your Schedule Debriefing. I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Haley. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Agent Michelle. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Sunday, September 15, 2019, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast everywhere wide Marvel is via www.geeks.live. Come on and join our live chat as we record. Ladies, happy National Felt Hat Day. Does anyone here have a felt hat? I do not. Nope. I have a top hat that I got at Halloween years ago, but no felt hat. Aren't fedoras felt? Um, Traditionally, yeah. yes. Then I do have a felt hat. Milady. <laughs> I think we all need to get felt hats and celebrate it next year. Okay. We should all just wear like those big hats that they wear for like the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> big gaudy hats. Yeah. Well, I'll yes. track this and the next time we record on a felt hat day, we will make that happen. Anyway, we're going to move on with the rest of the podcast and say Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan based podcast on the ABC television show. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the multiple Marvel small screen series, and the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes in general. Because of dead uncles. If you'd like to talk to us about the uh, dead people who have influenced you, you can get a hold of us at our website, legendsofshield.com. You can leave us a voicemail, 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can visit our Facebook page to talk to us about your dead uncle, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can see us on YouTube, www.youtube.com slash gunnageek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. skill. You can join our Discord server chat at gunnageek.com slash discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. Lauren, you're back. And I'm back. It's good to see you again and hear your voice. It's good to be back. This is Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. 300th episode. Lauren, I think you would be the second most person that is on the podcast. I would be first just because I was on a couple of episodes before you joined the podcast. But how does it feel to be 300? This is. Marvel! Someone had to do it. Come on. Guys. Yes, somebody did. Yeah. Haley, how does it feel? 300. It seems like just yesterday we started this little rinky deek podcast, and here we are at 300. Just yesterday. It's been like six years. I know. I've moved like five times since we started this podcast <laughs> in various states of podcast room. And Michelle, have you actually listened to all 300 episodes? I don't know if I've listened. I listened to the first year, but from the second year on. That's fine. I, I think the first year. I mean, because it was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the first season and it didn't really get good until Winter Soldier came out anyway. So, yeah. Which is about the time we took over the podcast anyways. Well, no, we do. Well, yeah, it was a few episodes before <laughs> that. It was a couple months before that. Yeah, we, we took over the podcast. So, yeah. And then it got really good and it's been good ever since. So I just want to say upfront, thank you to all of our subscribers for being subscribed to the show. It's been a great 300 episodes. We're looking forward to some more. And I'm not going to put a number on that because I was going to say, you don't want to commit to 300 more. No, 
No, not at this point. I'm getting too old. I might have to retire. I mean, like really retire, retire by the time we get to 600 episodes. So we'll see. All right. But today we have a very special episode for everybody. We wanted to do something special for our 300. For 200, we did the pilot episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which the four of us had not been able to record. This time we're doing Spider-Man Into the Universe, and I can't wait to get to it. You guys ready? Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, that's right. You guys ready? Yep. Very ready. All right, here we go. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It debuted in the USA on December 14th, 2018. So it is a 2018 movie. We are reviewing this less than a year old. It was rated PG. And I think that was appropriate at a runtime of about two hours. Lauren? What were the directors behind this great movie? This movie had three directors, which is not that uncommon in animation projects. First off, we have Bob. Sorry if I get this wrong. Hershietti. And he's only directed two projects, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and the Untitled Puss in Boots project. But he's had a long career in animation, starting with as an in-between artist in Disney's Hercules, also worked in animation for things like Mulan, Tarzan, Fantasia 2000, Emperor's New Groove, Shrek 2, Shrek the Halls, Puss in Boots, actually head of story for that one, and head of story in 2015's The Little Prince. Next, we have Peter Ramsey, who has three directing credits starting in 2009. First off, we have Monsters vs. Aliens, Mutant Pumpkins from Outer Space. Then we have the movie Rise of the Guardians, which I love. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And again, this person, this guy, has a whole bunch of credits in the art department. Starting with Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child as a storyboard artist. Whole bunch of work as a storyboard artist, actually. Including things like Backdraft, Tank Girl, Batman Forever, Men in Black. Minority Report, AI, Shark Tale, Penguins of Madagascar, Wrinkle in Time. So a lot of experience storyboarding, which is important for animation. Next and last as director, we have Rodney Rotham. Second directing credits. Actually, this is his first directing credits, but he has two listed starting in 2019. Starting with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Also have Untitled 21 Jump Street spinoff. And he has a lot of credits as a writer, actually, and a producer, starting in 1996 with The Late Show with David Letterman, wrote for 177 episodes, also wrote for things like Undeclared, the 78th Annual Academy Awards, 22 Jump Street, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and produced things like Committed, Game Over, Undeclared, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So yeah, there's a lot of established talent here, even if they are, for the most part, new or first-time directors. I think they really pulled it off. I enjoyed it. We'll talk more about that later. Michelle, who wrote this movie? This movie had two writers. First, Rodney Rothman, one of the directors. Second, Phil Lord. Phil Lord has 14 writing credits starting in 2000, including four episodes of Clone High, two of How I Met Your Mother, uh, the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, and the sequel, the Lego movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and Lego movie 2, the second part. Haley, who was the producers for this uh, movie? So the executive producers were Will Allegra and Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, Avi Arad is a producer. Teresa Bentz and Christian Hedgenau are co-producers. Stan Lee is also listed as an executive producer. And then Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, Amy Pascal, and Christina Steinberg are also producers. We had a plethora of main voice talent cast in this. And Michelle, who is your favorite out of all of these? Who's your favorite voice talent for this movie? I'm sorry, but Nicolas Cage was perfect as Spider-Man Noir. He really got into it. It was as though he was actually there on the screen. It was really odd. It's like I could just see Nicolas Cage actually be the real 
life, if it was a real life movie, you know, the live action remake, him being that, it was just perfect. Has he ever cosplayed as Spider-Man Noir? I know he's cosplayed as, as different superheroes before. I like Nick Cage, but I don't follow his cosplay exploits. Yeah. Lauren, not only are you a Marvel fan, you are a voice actor yourself. And yes, I am. Looking at this movie and realizing the talent that took to put it together, who would be your favorite voice talent in this movie? I would have to say Shamik Moore as Miles Morales. He, I mean, so much of the movie depends on him. He has to be this very believable, vulnerable teenager. And at the same time, you have to be willing to take this journey with him. And he pulled off being that kind of nerdy kid, that sort of artistic kid. He pulled off that kind of adolescence where you're trying to be cool, but you're not because you're a teenager and nobody's cool as a teenager. And the people that think they are, everybody's faking it at that time. He's trying to become an adult here he's trying to pull off a lot of adult responsibilities he's having a kind of a strained relationship with his dad because his dad's very much you know there's that time when you're like your your parents are still trying to show you a lot of love and uh, it's not cool to hang out with your parents but he has a close relationship with his uncle he has to put on a front and be brave but at the same time he's terrified just so much of that goes into a vocal performance and i think he pulled it off wonderfully i did enjoy his performance it was pretty cool i didn't realize that the film was going to be centered around miles morales because i think we can agree it it was and i did enjoy it very much so haley who would be your favorite voice actor lily tomlin is up there just because i i didn't like i didn't look at imdb before watching this i just heard her voice i was like that is lily tomlin and now I can see her playing Aunt May. Like if, you know, next time they reboot Spider-Man, which is probably going to be in a, a year or two now, she could play Aunt May. And John Mulaney as Spider-Ham was also pretty fantastic. <laughs> That's true. I loved, and we'll talk about this later, I loved a moment in the brawl with Aunt May. It just loved it. And Lily Tomlin definitely pulled that off. And, and there was voice enunciation during that as well. So it was great. I will go... Just because he's an A-list actor, and I will say that right here. So for anybody else that wants to send a hate mail, go ahead and send it to StargatePioneerAtGunnyGeek.com. Chris Pine as Peter Parker. I enjoyed that for the first, I don't know, five minutes of the film. And then I will double that, and I will go Haley Steinfeld. Did a great job as Gwen Stacy. Really enjoyed that. I liked how she called it, or they called it in the film, Spider-Woman, and it really, it's Spider-Gwen, as we know in the comics, but I do like the yeah. fact that they went with Spider-Woman there. In the comics, I believe she's actually Ghost Spider. Oh, that's true. But yeah, since she's the only spider person in her universe, of course she's Spider-Woman. Also, Chris Pine, you don't just get him at the beginning, you also get him in the end credits. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about the end credits later. And there was a Spider-Man 2099 as well there. But we also had Jake Johnson as Spider-B Parker. He had a lot more film underneath his belt here. And Lauren, I would say your favorite or one of your favorites <laughs> as Uncle Aaron, right? Yes, we have Mahershala Ali in his second outing into Marvel. Previously saw him as Cottonmouth in Luke Cage. Here we see him as Uncle Aaron slash Prowler. And we will be seeing him as Blade. So he's going to be pulling a threefer. Also, Brian Tyree Henry as Jefferson Davis. That's Miles' dad. You had Luna Lauren Velez as Rio Morales. Uh, you had Zoe Kravitz as Mary Jane. And Mary Jane wasn't in the film very much. And there was two different Mary Janes. There was the Mary Jane in the Prime Universe, and then there, I think there was, I'm trying to remember, there was another Mary Jane, and it, or maybe we just saw her twice. And I think... Peter B. Parker's was, Mary Jane. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. Zoe did a great job with that. And you had Penny Parker, voiced by... Kimiko Glenn. Kimiko Glenn. Of Orange is the New Black fame. Catherine Hahn as Doc Ock, as Liv. That was great. And you had uh, Liv Schreiber, as Wilson Fisk. 
also his second outing into a Marvel property. He was previously seen as Sabretooth in Wolverine Origins. And the last one we have in our show notes is Natalie Morales as Miss Kairos. Hilarious. Oh, and then we also have Oscar Isaac as interesting person number two or <laughs> number one in the end credits. And let's not forget, we did have Stan Lee as well. And Stan Lee is actually credited as himself. It wasn't somebody voicing himself. So it wasn't his last actual cameo, but it was second to last, I guess, or maybe third to last because didn't uh, Captain Marvel come out after this? Yeah. So it was his second to last cameo, but his last cameo that I know of in a voiceover role. And it was great seeing him up there again. And at the end of the film, they did the just his glasses, the Stanley glasses at the end, which was great. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Haley, what's up with that title? I think the film is self-explanatory there, but we've done this for quite a few years and I want you to have your chance at it. If you're a reader of comics, you know that there are often multiple timelines that exist within the comics or there are um, alternate versions of characters in imprints of the main line. So you get to see a lot of different Spider-Mans and this takes you into the universe where they all come together and it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I mean, I had fun watching it. I first saw it at the lake. My nephew, who's really young, you know, he's 10 years old. He was enjoying it quite a bit and I was in and out. I was busy with things as you are as an adult taking care of stuff. So I didn't get a chance to sit down and watch it. I went home. And then I watched it. I sat down. It was a great evening, Saturday night. I just enjoyed it quite a bit. And I didn't think I'd be back to it again. Definitely not so soon, just because there's a plethora of stuff for me to watch. And when we decided to watch this for 300, I was I was very happy because I did enjoy watching it. And I enjoyed watching it again this morning. Picked up a few other things this morning. So that was pretty good. Lauren, how many times have you watched this? I'm very sad to say I think this is only my second I'm very busy. <laughs> I, this was the first time for me. Oh, Sorry. yeah? Michelle? Second for me. Okay. So the second time around, do you, Michelle and Lauren, did you pick up a little bit more? Yeah, I'm kind of hard pressed to figure out what, because the last time I saw it was opening night, I believe. Mm. Or it was, it was right around opening weekend. I know that. No, this is the third time I've seen it. I'm sorry. This is the third time I've seen it. So what was the difference in watching it on the big screen and then at home? Nobody yelled at me if I talked. (laughs) (laughs) But no difference in the experience that you can remember? I mean, you're always going to be lacking kind of the audience energy when you go see it with a crowd that's really excited for the thing you're going to see. This time I was watching it alone. And so I was pretty much talking to myself and the cats. So it was a bit of a lonelier experience. So do you remember there being a lot of energy in the theater? Oh, yeah. Lots of energy. Okay. Michelle, any difference between the first time and the second time? Because I already knew what was going to happen, I was able to watch the other spider individuals and get to know them better, like the Spider-Man Noir, Penny. Spider-Ham and such. I got to pay attention to them. It was good. You think he's actually going to figure out that the Spider-Man noir, you think he's actually going to figure out that Rubik's Cube at some point? He did. He did. He Mm -hmm. he solved it and he actually displays it and everything. But does he know the meaning behind the not purple? Of course he does. You know what would have been funny is if he had solved it and then just kept twisting it. (laughs) (laughs) No! I love in the uh, the end credits when you see him like displaying it as like, hey, check out this awesome thing. It's going to change your life. So, Michelle, when you were watching it, did you feel like there was a levity in the film? What I really liked, what really hooked me was that first intro. You know, I'm Peter Parker. I got bit by a radio after spider. You know the rest. But that whole like summarizing like what Sony did. And then he's like, oh yeah, I also did this, but we don't, you know, with the dance moves, but we don't talk about it. (laughs) And then I also have merchandising and I did this Christmas album. 
which that really pays off during the credits. So I, I like how that really set the tone of, you know, we know what's going on. We know, you know, spider man. And we, you know, the spider lore, because I liked it. It's like, okay, here we go. And here's my origin story. Well, you know, the rest, it's great. I love how they did the one for one last time or one more time. Here's where it is. I love how they do that for each individual character. And for Miles, it took a while to get to it. We got him at the end. But for the rest, they were able to do it as they came on board. And I thought that was really cool, especially because they went through all of the Sony Spider-Man movies from the beginning. They, they went through the moments and scenes from all of them. So I'm glad that they referenced everything, even the bad ones. Something that I really, really love about this movie is this is the closest I think we'll ever see to an actual animated comic book. Not like a motion comic, but they're really, really making fantastic use of animation as a medium. They actually deliberately animated Miles with less frame rate until he starts to find himself as Spider-Man. And then they animate him more fluidly because he knows what's going on. We see the word boxes. We see the just the, the look of everything is done deliberately to look like a printed comic book in places. Whenever a new Spider-Man, Spider-Person is introduced, we see after when they're telling, okay, and uh, here it is one more time. We see the issue there. The movie even starts with approved by the comics code. It's it's so fantastic. It's I love it so much. It's the perfect blend. Yeah, I, I like them using the comics as a framing device for introducing the characters from other universes. Yeah, and it, all the alternative universes and all of the past comics and everything, it was actually shown in the pre-rolls. So you had all the old Columbia Pictures stuff that came up that was cool. You had all the different Marvel stuff that Sony could get their hands on in the pre-roll. And you also had the approved by the comic code authority that was all in the intro. And it was signifying of the different universes of the alternate universes, but they did go back and feed into all of the spider. So as much as this is a 300th episode celebration for legends of shield, this was a all out celebration of Spider-Man and what Sony has been able to do and the comics for Sony. So that, is a a big thing i don't want to minimize it it was it was huge in order to pull all of this together last fall for this movie now lauren you also had a neat thing about the soundtrack or the sounds of the movie too right i just really love the way that the soundtrack and the music fit in with just everything it adds a lot of feeling to the movie like we start off with post malone sunshine and miles is i saw somebody once mention that there's nothing more relatable than miles trying to sing along and only knowing like a third of the words and just kind of like his way through the rest of it and then later when he's trying to kind of figure out sticking to things and peter b parker is telling him what do you do to relax and he starts singing it to himself and he gets really into it so we have that as a recurring theme a lot of the music in the background, it's just, it's like the pulse of the movie. It's so gorgeous and it's fun. And oh, my fav- one of my favorite parts is the music that's playing when Miles is getting ready to make that big leap of faith. It's, it's a fantastic soundtrack. And then again, in the end credits, when we get Peter Parker Prime, the Chris Pine version, we get the full version of the Christmas song that we hear a little bit of in the movie. And the whole thing about why did I agree to do this? I have a degree in chemical engineering. I should fire my agent, stuff like that. It's so good. I love it. It, it adds that degree of emotion to the movie, whether it's, you know, levity or whether it's drama or whether it's just goofiness. Haley, what do you think about the pop-up dialogue boxes for the thoughts and the narration? Did you like that? Yeah, again, it's making this feel like a comic book. You're watching a comic book happen. So, you know, you're seeing the characters' internal monologues. You're seeing the sound effects. And you don't really start seeing that until after Miles gets bit by the spider. Because that's when it becomes 
like we're seeing his first issue of the comic book. That's kind of what this movie is. It's his origin story, for better or for worse, really, on the video screen. You know, I didn't even pick that up. <laughs> so, Michelle, you had a, a note here on Miles's and his dad, Jefferson Davis's relationship. It is so realistic. I love, first off, it's that whole, I'm a teenager. I'm not supposed to love my parents, but I actually do love my parents, but I can't show it. And you have that, Miles is going to this, basically like a magnet school, this special academy, and he has to stay there during the week. He's like, no, 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 I can walk. And instead of walking, he's actually, you know, jumping up and putting up his stickers and he falls because his shoes are untied, even though it's a choice. And then his dad is there and his dad has to drive him. And you get, I think it's such an iconic moment where he's like, I love you. And then Miles just leaves and he, on, on that loudspeaker, it's like, say it back, say it back such a dad move it's, it's such a dad but then it's there's that moment when miles is tied up in the chair and his father comes and just says i push you because i see a spark in you this is your life i don't want us to grow apart i want us to have some sort of relationship i don't have a relationship with my father and that would have been great to hear it's more than just, I love you. It's that whole, I believe in you. You have a spark. And it, it's that moment when he stops listening to all the spider people about what and everything, but he starts to listen to his family. Because when he finally takes that leap of faith, he's hearing his family's voices and he's hearing his dad and his mom pushing him forward. And, and just that conversation and later on, you know, when the cell phone, he goes and he hugs his dad when he's Spider-Man. And he's like, I love you. Uh, and his dad's completely confused. I just thought it was just this beautiful, these beautiful moments in there. I, I just, I loved it. Basically my favorite like relationship. I know there's other interactions Miles has, but the interaction he has with his dad is just, it's my favorite. That moment was really powerful because it was at a time where Miles thought his dad blamed him for his uncle or Jefferson Davis's brother's death. And he didn't know if there was going to be a way to come back from that. And it was just powerful to hear that as Miles, that his dad still loved him and wanted to hear back from him. And it was shortly after that, I think he was using his electric power and, and he was like, no, I got to go be a part of this, right? Yes, yeah. he he, that electricity comes and then he fizzles. And my favorite animation moment when he does take that leap of faith and how the camera flips and instead of him going down, he's going, it looks like he's going up and like, it's like this suspended, beautiful moment. Contrast that with earlier in the movie where he first gets his powers and you get that stereo in a lot of other movies, they get the powers and all of a sudden they're using them like boom, 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 boom. I really liked it where he's these grand moments where he's starting to train and he's just like, nope, I'm going to go down the stairs. I'm, I'm not doing this. I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, I have a quick question for Lauren, I think. Mm -hmm. Is Jefferson Davis Miles' stepfather? I don't believe so. <laughs> Trying to figure out the last names. According to the wiki, was, they call him his dad, but... Like when I looked it up, his dad. Well, I, I assumed it was like a stepdad, but had been in his life from a very young age. So he's just, you know, his dad. dad. No. Okay. No. All right. No, he's the son of an African-American father, Puerto Rican mother. Okay. Must have just taken the mom's name, maybe. Maybe we're assuming they're married. Ooh. Yeah. He, they might not have, they might not have been married when they had him or something. Okay. I mean, it happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Lauren, I had a question for you. Is it true that seahorses mate for life? Uh, I believe uh, some species. Let me, I am double checking. Most wild seahorses are monogamous and some species mate for life. So, yeah, some species. At least it is verified by Lauren, the resident biologist on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., to be plausible. Okay, so... One of the things in the comics is that Aunt May had a brief relationship with Doc Ock, right? 
Yes. Do we think that is still true in this universe? Because they seem familiar. Yeah, she does call her Liv, which only her friends call her. I know the Spider-Verse fandom pretty much takes it as headcanon that they are close friends or dating. Because, again, yeah, she did have that relationship with Doc Ock in the uh, 616 Marvel-Verse. I'm for it. I was wondering how she knew Liv. I, I didn't know the background there. I'll be the first to admit, I do not, I'm not steeped in Spider-Man lore. You should at least watch the 90s cartoon series. Absolutely, yes. I remember watching the cartoons back in like the 60s and 70s, and I think that was about it. Oh, the accents are way better in the 90s cartoon. Oh, yeah. Fun fact, the guy who voices Peter Parker in the 90s cartoon is also Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid. Oh, a whole new world. Yes. A whole new Spider-Verse. <laughs> Spider family. Mm-hmm. And Madam Webb in that one was, of course, Stanley's wife. Yep. Oh, and uh, speaking of Stanley cameos, the 90s cartoon was Stanley's very first cameo. I think it's still my favorite cameo. Was that actually his cameo in the end credit? What? Oh, you're talking about the 90s cartoon, not the yeah, 60s the, cartoon. The 90- yeah, the 90s cartoon. Okay. Well, since we were talking about Aunt May just a little bit ago, I just want to bring up her actions in the brawl. You have her say, okay, take it outside. Everybody refuses. Her house just gets lit up. I mean, there's nothing left of the house really after this brawl, but she is having none of it. And she takes a bat and just goes to town. Way to go, Aunt May. Well, this Aunt May also makes her own web shooters for miles. Which, hey, maybe that's why she knows Liv. They're both science people. (laughs) That's an interesting twist on Aunt May, and I'm all for it, actually. I mean, she's got that shed, that sweet shed, and it doesn't have a futon in it. (laughs) It's her she shed. Yeah. What I really (laughs) liked is that Aunt May is the constant. If you ever watched Lost, there's an episode called The Constant and Penny and, okay, whatever. But, like, all of them, whether it's the Penny from the future, Spider-Man Noir, who's from the 30s, they all ended up at Aunt May's. It's like all of them knew to go to her. And when then the whole alternate dimension thing happens, she doesn't like break a sweat. She doesn't, she just keeps on going and all of a sudden take them all down to the spider lair. And there they all are. I thought that was amazing. I wonder if Aunt May's still around in the Peter B. Parker universe because he seemed like she might not be, or at least he. No, he says he buried her. He said she's dead. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Peter B's life is rough. He's the one that broke his back and got the divorce and fell into a depression. He is burned out, Spider-Man. Yeah, it's what would probably happen to all these heroes if we followed them in a real timeline for long enough. You know, if we saw them be a hero for 22 years. Yeah, the Spider-Man Prime verse that we see, he was 26 when he died. And this spider Okay, so fun Another fun difference between the two Spider-Men here, Peter Parker, Peter B. Parker, the Peter B. Parker is Jewish, which at least when uh, Brian Bendis writes him, he is too. I think Stan Lee might have also confirmed because Queens in the 60s was a very heavily Jewish area. Anyway, when you see that Spider-Man, Peter B. Parker and Mary Jane getting married, they step on the glass, which is the Jewish tradition. Hmm. So. Again, that sort of big difference there. And so, yeah, this Spider-Man, the one who's been doing it for 22 years, you work at a job for 22 years, you might be burned out. Never mind putting your body physically on the line constantly. It takes a toll on his relationships. It takes a toll on his body. I mean, yeah, they joke about like dad bod Peter Parker, but yeah, he had his back broken i i had a herniated disc that made it bad enough that i couldn't walk and i mean recovering from that was bad enough and i gained weight come on i i don't blame him for having a dad bod i kind of feel sorry for that last piece of pizza as peter oh. b parker is taken you know it goes up to the ceiling gets, and then it flops down on the floor i mean uh r.i.p new york pizza yeah i'm always sad at the waste of pizza 
do you think Mary Jane accepts Peter B. Parker back at the end because he shows up with the flowers and she's smiling at him? Do you think she's accepts him back? I think there's promise. Okay, that's fair. I mean, they've been married. They got divorced uh, because of the whole kids. He seems to go through this kid thing with Miles saying, okay, well, maybe kids are okay. I think he's changed her mind, but so much happens in a divorce. I don't know if that's going to bring them back together or not. I hope it does. Be nice if it did. Yeah. I mean, you see, like, his outlook changes over the course of the movie as well. Like, and he opens up again. He's positive about the future in a way that he's not when the movie starts. Exactly. It's more than just, oh, maybe I could be okay with kids. It's more, he went from being just, okay, everything's terrible to, all right, maybe there is hope. And again, it's something that he's mentoring a kid. He's working with all these people. He's realizing he's not alone. I think that's a lot of it. He felt alone. Lauren, did you count how many knocks to the head Peter B. Parker had in the graveyard to train scene? Oh, so many. That's (laughs) super bad for you. Spider healing. Evidently, he also lost a tooth at one point. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, just don't watch the mouth, watch the hands, right? Uh, Apparently. You noticed an Easter egg, Lauren. What exactly was that? Okay. This one makes me happy every time I notice it. Well, okay. Anytime the creator of a character or anything like that is brought up in a movie, I get really excited. I yelled when I saw Kelly Sue DeConnick, who wrote a lot of Captain Marvel in the Captain Marvel movie. In this case, it's a very small Easter egg. It's when Miles is looking at his phone, going to call his uncle Aaron, and he sees M. Bendis and Sarah Pacelli in his phone. Brian Michael Bendis is the guy who created the character of Miles Morales. He had been writing Ultimate Spider-Man at the time. This was right around the time of everyone like, cast Donald Glover as Spider-Man. And he's like, Black Spider-Man would be cool. So because they killed off Peter Parker in Ultimate Spider-Man, he brought this character in, Miles Morales, who was a 13-year-old kid, who was inspired by that and, again, got the bite, had the Uncle Aaron, had the parents, had the magnet school and everything. And Sarah Pacelli is the artist who drew the first, I think, several arcs of the comic. So that made me very, very happy. So, Michelle, what did you think about the total animation in this from front to back? As we talked before, it really looks like a comic book. It's not trying to be this realistic CGI sort of deal. It's very stylized. Kingpin has this huge, imposing physicalness right away. The way Doc Ock moves in here, I liked it better than the real action in, in the... Oh, I can't remember which Tobey Maguire that one was in. But I, really, I prefer two. Okay, yeah, so exactly. I preferred this one, not only the personality, but the way the, the arms moved and how the fighting went. I watch a lot of animation. I mean, not a lot. Well, maybe I do. I don't know. But it was really just good. It was just good. I liked the stylized. I liked how it was choppy. And then, you know, as Lauren mentioned, got smoother with Miles. It was beautiful. They also used different animation styles for different characters. We had like an anime style for Penny. We (laughs) had more cartoonish Looney Tunes style for Spider-Ham. Uh, the noir one looked kind of like the old Batman cartoons. So fun fact about that design for Kingpin, that whole design is actually from a 1986 Bill Sinkowitz illustration for Daredevil, Love and War. And I believe they also use Bill Sinkowitz type art or Bill Sinkowitz's actual art for the backstory of his family, of Kingpin's family. If you watch any of the close-ups of Spider-Man noir, you will see that is definitely comic book-esque with the pixelation in the white areas to make it gray. And it is definitely, it's not actually colored. It's what you would see if you would magnify an actual comic book from that era of Spider-Man Noir. Yeah, they went all out in trying to replicate exactly 
the same style as everybody was drawn from. And I really appreciated that. Ailey, where do you stand on the cape issue? Nookies. He's a spider. There's no reason for him to have a cape. At least there was one costume with a cape. Yeah, notice that you never see him wearing it. Is that the costume that Miles takes and he repaints, or was it the actual Spider-Man costume? I don't know. Yeah, I was wondering if he took the one with the cape and took the cape off. I thought the one with the cape was a red one, but I'm not positive. It was a red one. I just know Spider-Man can have a trench coat and, you know, the wind always billows and the wind <laughs> smells like rain. <laughs> he lets matches burn down to his fingers just to feel. And I love that when he says it, the match stops just before his finger. He goes, oh, I might actually cosplay this coming up Halloween as the Peter B. Parker with the uh, sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> it's a look. I love whatever you see. He has like mismatched shoes <laughs> when he's actually wearing shoes, right? When he's actually wearing shoes. I thought it was great when Peter Porker left that they did that. That's all folks line. And they recognized it. Sued. Yeah. Can he legally <laughs> say that? I have no idea what happened there. They might've gotten special dispensation. I don't know. It might be one of those where it's a short enough phrase that it can't be copyrighted. I think if they'd done the like actual stutter part with it, then they would have been in trouble. Yeah, it's sort of like, here's Johnny. So Miles has another estranged relationship in that at school, he's got a roommate and they never talk. What's up with that? I mean, maybe it's just okay. because they just got to the Vision Academy or what? I had a roommate like that my first year of college. We didn't talk. <laughs> I had a relationship like that with my roommate my first year of college, too. Uh, we went an entire week without speaking to each other once. Not we, were, we weren't mad. We just didn't have anything to say. But, um, okay, I actually have an explanation for this. So this roommate, his name is Genke Lee, and he is Miles' roommate slash best friend in the Ultimate Spider-Man comics. The thing is... They took everything about his personality and his relationship with Miles and moved it to Ned in the Spider-Man Homecoming movies. Mm -hmm. They need to figure out something to do with him for like his appearance, his personality, like everything. So they need to figure out something for him to do for Spider-Verse <laughs> because otherwise people are going to be going, hey, that's Ned. No, that was Genki Lee first. I think. If you go back in the archives, you can hear me complaining about that, actually. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. And when Miles actually meets him, he's doing it with the mask on because he's already seen all the Spider-Man, right? So he's actually telling him that he's Spider-Man, right? Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Which, again, in the comics, Genki knows that he's Spider-Man, so. Okay. Does anybody have anything else for the main movie? Oh, so much, but... There's a lot of really fantastic trivia about little details, about little background details showing, hey, this is not our universe. Like, the Prime Universe isn't our universe. There's things that, like, Bridesmaids is now, it's like a baby shower or something like that. There's a lot of details in the background. There's, like, just if you pause anytime they're in Times Square or anytime you see movie posters or something like that just take a look at them they're really interesting there's a lot of symbolism in background stuff like before you realize that Liv is doc ock her glasses are an octagonal shape the vents are an octagonal shape you can see the one of the tentacles on her desk i'm a sucker for good set design and good planning the people that worked on this movie did such a fantastic job of building character in costume choices, in music choices, in animation choices. It's, it's all fantastic. I'm going to ramble on forever if I don't stop now. Somebody else, please take over. I was going to say, I was a little surprised this was released in theaters. DC does a lot of animated films, but they're direct to DVD. And I think it did pretty well at the box office as well, if I'm remembering correctly. It was listed as a must-see movie. I just didn't have the time for it, especially with the, the holiday season and everything coming on. I mean, Chris was Chris Farrell over on the GunnaGeek.com show and our co-host on 
Starling Tribune, as well as he runs his own show, All Things Good and Nerdy. And he was a Spider-Man fan through and through, and he kept saying, you got to go see this, got to go see this. And I remember Lauren saying, you got to go see this. And I remember it doing well, and I was just at the point where I was going to wait for it to come out on video. And I think Sony was doing a little bit of a cash grab with this by releasing it, but also after watching it, I'm glad it was in the theater because it definitely was an experience. Well, and this was also in theaters at about the same time as Far From Home. And I know a lot of people that saw both and said they preferred Into the Mm -hmm. Spider-Verse. Michelle, any last words before we get to the post credit scene? Gwen or Gawanda. I love how she was Gawanda first. It's interesting that she came actually a week before because of the way her portal worked, how they were friends, him giving her her accidental cool haircut because he couldn't stop sticking. He's not allowed to talk about the haircut. (laughs) (laughs) You are not allowed. And they were just friends. And when his uncle died, he just went, you don't understand. And, and she just went, no, Miles, we are the only ones who do understand because all of them had lost someone that was in an, another unfortunate constant in the spider life. Again, all of them at some point thought they were alone. You see Gwen saying, I don't do friends anymore. Spider-Man noir has his whole noir thing going on. Peter B. Parker is just like, lost hope and then all of them the first thing that they say when they meet each other is you're like me the story of spider-man is at its beginning all about grief and moving on from that you take this thing that was a tragedy and you use it to make the world a better place and they're there to kind of help shepherd miles through it and at the end of the whole movie, and I almost, I was actually up walking around the first time I saw it. And then I, I remember hearing this scene going on. I'm like, is this another scene? And okay, it's a post credit scene. And I see my familiar comic, uh, the cartoon that started in 1967. And Miguel, who is Spider-Man 2099, his AI has created for him this time travel device to let him in on it a little bit, this multidimensional Spider-Verse going on. So he goes back to, we'll just call it Earth-67. He goes back to Earth-67 and it has a pointing war with the original Spider-Man with uh, also Jameson being there as well. (laughs) It's that meme. You've seen that meme, the one of the two Spider-Men pointing at each other. It's Oscar Isaac as Miguel O'Hara. And it's, you're pointing at me. No, you're pointing at me. You started it. (laughs) It's fantastic. I want more spider people. And it was a way to get Miguel in because Spider-Man 2099 has been around in comics for the last couple of years. So it was a way to get him in the movie. And I did like that at the end. And I think if he would have been in the rest of the movie, it would have been a little bit overpowering because he is a main Spider-Man just 100 years from now sort of thing. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Who was the one that said, let's do this for 300? Was Haley? Was that you? I believe it was me. Okay. Thank you very much, Haley. I just needed something to push me to watch it because I've been wanting to watch it for a while and haven't gotten around to it. I think it was a great 300 because it's an homage to Stan Lee. It's an homage to Marvel Comics and um, an homage to being family. So I I liked it. It was very apropos for 300 Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, as I was saying last time, next time, next Sunday as we record, we'll hit the next two episodes of Runaways. We'll hit season two, episode 10, Hostile Takeover, and season two, episode 11, last waltz and then there will be another week and i think we'll be done with runaways after that just four more episodes we're taking two at a time and i believe we'll be starting cloak and dagger after that which i know is going to make some of our audience very happy so that's what's in store so if you want more legends of shield that is what's coming in the future in the meantime we have for the first time in a few weeks some news to get over so here we go So first up, we've got some casting news, and it's actually somebody we just heard in tonight's film. Hawkeye eyes Haley Steinfeld for the lead role. Yep. 
So we've talked about this series before. It will be focusing on Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye training Kate Bishop, upcoming Hawkeye, who comics readers will know and love from Young Avengers. And so far, Variety reports that Haley Steinfeld might be on the shortlist for the show. And yes, she was, in fact, Gwen Stacy. She did it well. I mentioned that at the head of the podcast. I'm fine with her coming back for Kate Bishop. Um, Next, a little bit more casting news for upcoming TV shows. We've got a couple names being rumored for She-Hulk. Right now, we're hearing about Ronda Rousey and Rosario Dawson. Both of these come from WeGotThisCover.com. Apparently, both of them are rumored to be on the short list. So this wasn't in the article, but there's been a lot of controversy regarding Ronda Rousey. People might not know, or they may in fact know, she's a 9-11 truther. She is a transphobe. She has a history of saying a lot of very controversial things. And as much as I love She-Hulk, I would not watch if she was Jen Mm. Walters. I think that would just be a bad choice on their part. Like, you don't want somebody that's going to bring negative press down on your brand new show. Just seems like a bad choice. And it's not like she's just got these things in her past that she said. Like, she's going to keep saying stuff. Yep. Rosario Dawson, however, is glorious and wonderful and beautiful and (laughs) radiant. Need a minute? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Let's move on. Of course, this all that casting and the casting of Blade really means that they're really going to pretend like the Netflix shows aren't part of the universe, which is sad. It might reference them. We'll see. All right. So next up, we've got some talk from Kevin Feige, and he's revealing that there was an alternate Iron Man post credit scene mentioning mutants and radioactive bug bites. Yep. So this past weekend, in fact, I think it was yesterday or Friday. I don't remember dates anymore, but this past weekend was the Saturn Awards, which is a sci-fi centric awards thing. And Kevin Feige was there. He did, in fact, mention that there were a couple, I guess, of Iron Man post-credit scenes. And one did mention mutants and radioactive bug bites. And it will be included in the Infinity Saga box set, which will undoubtedly be huge and expensive. We want to guess how much it's going to cost. $299. Yeah, that's what I think. $299 will be the recommended list price, and you'll be able to get it on sale for like $250 for the first few months. I already own all the movies. What are they just giving me? A couple extra post-credit scenes? It's not worth it to me for the money. There will be, they'll have some like gimmicky thing that they're selling it with. Yeah. Like some custom case or statue or something. Like they did the case for the phase one, Mm -hmm. the actual briefcase. Eh. At the time, that would have been worth it to me, but now it's like, with everything going digital. Mm. Yeah, now it's like, I have so many things. The only way that might work is if you had somebody else in your family that wanted the whole set of movies, so you like dump your old DVDs or Blu-rays onto them and get the new set. I don't have anybody like that, but okay. I didn't know if maybe one of your kids was, you know, stealing your movies or something. Yeah, but now they're all digital, and they have my login on the digital side so eh. true story well thanks for all that it was nice to have some news on the podcast again and then also for the first time in a couple of weeks we have some feedback so we're going to get to that right now We heard from some people on Twitter, including at Andy Mingna. At Andy Mingna said, in honor of our 300th episode, anyone of your choosing, because not sure if my pick will attend the 300th cast, please explain to us as David Holler, a.k.a. Legion, why you deserve to be loved. Anyone want to take this? Lauren, I'm going to say that what Andy Mingna thought was you, and he didn't know if you were going to be here. So I, th- I think you should answer this. Okay, uh, as David Holler, well, I deserve to be loved because uh, I contain multitudes. Okay, and, and we still have season three of Legion, the final season three of Legion to watch at some point in time. We get caught up with the smaller screen stuff uh, like uh, Cloak and Dagger and uh, Runaways. I think it's hilarious you think we're ever going to catch up. 
<laughs> they will always add stuff to us. We still have like eight Netflix seasons to watch. Yeah, and then we have Disney Plus coming out this fall. So yeah, we're doing our best. We've transitioned to two episodes a week for everything else, but Agents of Shield. So we'll see. And probably Legion, just because that's a lot. Uh, actually, oh, we'll talk about it off air. Okay. And we also heard from Adonna Girl. Yes, she said had a Seth Green sighting at the at Shop Disney store today. This bin apparently contains the collector's rejects. They were on clearance. Howard the Duck, Cosmo, and Groot. So she took a picture and sent it to us. It's focusing on Howard the Duck, but I see Cosmo in the background and maybe a little hint of Groot in the background. I need to go and find Cosmo. Why would Groot be a collector's reject? I would think Groot would be big. Well, they were on yeah, sale. Yeah, he wanted a Groot. Yeah. They're on sale, so I guess that's why they're the rejects. I like Cosmo, too. I love Cosmo. He's a good dog. And we got a YouTube comment. We did, indeed. This is from the most recent episode that's up on YouTube, which is from three weeks ago. F. Smittick said, CD, which I presume is Cloak and Dagger, and Runaways is, and then that emoji of the smiley face with the sunglasses. So, yeah, I agree. Yep. We're going to, we're experiencing them now. So thank you very much, F. Smittick, for watching. Well, we've chosen on this momentous occasion, given both the 300 for Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the fact that we reviewed Into the Spider-Verse, we're going to go ahead and web swing this one out. And as Peter B. Parker told us and taught us during this movie, it's twice to release, once for new. been fun 300 episodes thank you ladies for being part of the podcast and thank you listener for downloading and listening to the show we really appreciate or streaming the show whichever way you do now i know a lot of people are talking about streaming on spotify in different places so thank you very much for that too thank you to everyone that has been with us on this journey no matter when you got on the train we're just glad that you're here with us now and we appreciate you listening Thank you to everybody who leaves feedback. We love hearing from you. We love knowing what you thought about whatever it is we're watching, whatever Marvel things that you saw out in the wild. We love knowing that you're thinking of us. It's remarkable that you've been here however long you've been here, whether, like Haley said, you're new or you've been here a while. Thank you guys so much. And thank y'all for having me for however long it's been. I don't remember time anymore, and it still seems like yesterday when I first joined. Yes, thank you to everyone who listens, downloads, interacts with us, and thank you three for inviting me to be an agent. I was brought on as a consultant. I don't even know how long ago. I guess maybe a year or so ago. I remember doing some stuff with Daredevil the first season, and then it just went on from there. And again, like Lauren, I don't have concept of time right now, but I'm enjoying it and I love it. Thank you. I want to give a special shout out to Kira and Julie Hansen because they gave me this nice polo shirt with the shield emblem on it way, way back a few years ago. And I've been wearing it on a lot of the podcasts. I just want to call them out specifically and thank them very much for getting this for me. It's either this or like a geeky jersey that i wear but thank you very much and our listeners have sent us all things we've got some nice wristbands and and uh, different things so thank you very much we really appreciate you guys giving back to us and we look forward to more interaction with you in the future but with that i'll go ahead and start to close this one out until next time i'm director sp i'm agent haley i'm agent lauren and i'm agent michelle Bye, guys. 300 means a lot to us. Thank you. Bye. Woo. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. 
The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. So the engine block is in the car. Yay. Everything is not connected yet, but the engine block is in the car. A couple more weeks before my life gets consumed by watching 10 different CW TV shows every week. I'm still catching up on the CW shows. I haven't even finished Legends of Tomorrow from last year. We're doing that on Starling Tribune. We've got... I just caught up on Arrow. I'm working on The Flash now, and I've got Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow left. You're not going to miss much with Supergirl. I hate to say it. I've heard it wasn't the Shining season. No, it just, they decided, let's do reality. (laughs) That's why I watch your show, is to get away from reality. Have you watched Legend of Korra at all? Yes. So it very much reminds me of the first season of Legend of Korra, this season of Supergirl, at least as much as I've seen of it. I'm so glad to see y'all again. I just looked and my last recording was in July. Yeah, so I asked, does she know that we record on Skype now? Because I couldn't remember the last time you had recorded. I did not know. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2019.